Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets of Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline Diarty edwards and Maria Wickfilla. We're going to talk about a degree that is gaining in popularity in the U.S. and is the predominant graduate degree in business in Europe. It's the Master's in Management. What separates a MIM from an MBA? We'll tell you in a few moments. But generally, if you graduated from an undergraduate institution with one of those wonderful degrees like I did in political science or English, I double majored, uh, or maybe you majored in philosophy or geography or any one of the humanities subjects, and you are finding it difficult to locate a job, the MIM is where uh, it basically shows you how to get not only a job, but land one in a company um, that no longer has the kind of rotational training programs that companies once did. You know, back into the 1980s, many companies reduced many layers of management and training programs for newly graduated people uh, with geography, English, political science, and other degrees kind of went away. Companies began disinvesting in those kind of training programs, hoping to get graduates who they could hire and who could contribute in the job from day one. And this is what has made really the master's in management so popular. It is a pre-experienced degree, can be anywhere from one year to even three in some cases, and it really prepares you for uh, a role in business. Companies in Europe love MIMS. In fact, many of the MIM programs at the business schools are more selective than their full-time residential MBA programs. In the U.S., probably the highest-ranked MBA program with a MIM is Kellogg at Northwestern. The degree is proliferating uh, in the U.S. and is considered to be a big growth area for U.S. business schools. Caroline, what's the difference really between a MIM and an MBA? There are a lot of different flavors of MIMS. So it does depend on which school and which program that you're looking at. So, for example, the INSEAD Masters in Management, it's a pre-experience program versus the MBA, the full-time MBA, um, for which students typically have um, on average five to six years of work experience. And so the master's in management is actually a little bit longer. So it's 14 to 16 months, whereas the full-time MBA is, is 10 to 12 months. And that reflects the fact that with the, uh, the full-time MBA program, the, the, the faculty can really rely on the fact that students coming into the classroom have, have really rich and deep professional experience that they can draw on and they can relate what they're learning to their previous experience and give it that context very quickly. Whereas students who are coming in straight from undergraduate, they, I'm sure that they've done internships, right? A lot of them would have done internships and would already have started to build their resume. But of course, they won't have the same length of, of professional experience that the, the, the MBAs would have. And so it, it, it's, it's necessary to just take things a little bit more slowly and start from an earlier point in, in some of those classes. And so it makes sense to take things to expand the program over, over a longer period. And I, you know, I think it's, it's a wonderful option. It gives students um, a great, as you said, you know, a great entry point into the marketplace. It gives them a wonderful credential. 
it's not just an academic experience. The schools will also work with students on figuring out their career plans and connecting them with employers. And so, you know, it's a great springboard into the marketplace, into the into the into the workforce and into recruitment opportunities. So a great way to transition from um, an undergraduate degree, as you said earlier, John, particularly in Europe, a few years back, um, the European Union restructured the undergraduate degrees to harmonize undergraduate programs because there was a lot of variability in Europe with some undergraduate programs being very long. You know, in Germany, even sort of five, six years was not at all uncommon and some very short. So uh, in the UK, you know, typically three years. Um, so there was an effort to harmonize the the undergraduate degree across Europe. And that led to a lot more students coming out of the undergraduate degrees at an earlier age. Um, and this fed a an appetite for um, pre-experienced master's degrees. Um, and so, um, you know, this is also responding to to that need, particularly in Europe, where students feel that after three years, um, they are don't feel quite yet done with their education. And they see these um, programs as a great way to transition from perhaps a very academic learning environment, as you said, perhaps they've been studying English or history or uh, or something quite abstract, which doesn't necessarily lend itself immediately to a professional career and and therefore taking a master's in management would be a wonderful way to to transition and build a fa- great foundation of skills so that they can then make that successful transition into into the workforce and you learn to speak the language of business i mean if you're an english undergrad and you go into the marketplace you have no idea what return on equity is uh, you know, how stock markets work, uh, how the global economy is interdependent. Uh, you, you just have no basic knowledge of how business operates. And business does have a language. And and learning that language is important if you're going to get a job uh, at a company. Maria, what's your take on MIM? So my take on it is, I think, for Europe, for all the reasons that Caroline explained. I think it it makes a lot of sense. In some ways, I've always sort of viewed the MIM degree as an opportunity for people who perhaps, as, as you mentioned earlier, John, get to the end of their undergraduate careers and realize, oh my gosh, maybe I do want to pursue a career in business, but I didn't study it or I didn't have the opportunity to study it before, but whew, I don't want to go back and redo my bachelor's degree, but I don't have experience. I'm too young for an MBA. So it's, it's, it's always seemed to me to be sort of like a stopgap like sort of like a, it's not quite an MBA, but it's not quite a full bachelor's. And so I think it's a great opportunity for for people to make that transition. I know, um, I know in the States, for example, in the past, you know, because as you mentioned, the MIM in the States is not as popular. But for example, if you were an English major or political science major and you got a job, say at McKinsey, that's what the Tuck, the Dartmouth Tuck Business Bridge program used to be. The corporations would send these recent graduates too, it was it was significantly shorter than a, a full master's, but it was sort of like, a, I think, a 10 or 12 week type of program on the Tuck campus and it would be full time and it would be kind of like a crash course and all of the business fundamentals uh, that they would need, for example, to get in front of a client and talk about things like return on equity. <laughs> and so I, I think I think the, the MIM in the US, it's an interesting it's interesting that it's starting to emerge because I, I'd be curious to learn more from Caroline. I, is it more of a standardized experience in the in the you know in Europe because it has been around for longer? Because I think one of the trickier things with the U.S. landscape is that there doesn't 
seem to be a complete standardization. Like some schools will have the master's in asset management and some schools will have the master's in management science or master's in management data analytics. Like there, there doesn't seem to be sort of a cohesive curriculum. Whereas with an MBA, while the electives may vary pretty dramatically from school to school, the core MBA and, and what is an MBA program is very well known in the US. But I think with the master's degrees, there's all like, you know, there's like the master's in finance, that's MIT Sloan, that's 18 months, but then they have a master's in management science, I think it's called, that's nine months. It, it's sort of all over the place. So um, do, you, do you happen to know, do either one of you happen to know if in Europe, it's already a little bit more of a, an established you know, curriculum and, and everyone sort of universally knows what the MIM is or is it? Yeah, I think, I think that's true in Europe, uh, definitely because it's so popular and there's so many of them. In the U.S., uh, if you talk to directors of MIM programs, I, I had a recent interview with the head of the MIM program at Georgetown University's McDonough School, and she admits that, you know, there's an education job here. Both the market, in uh, as defined by aspiring students, as well as employers, need to be educated about the degree and what its value is, because it's still very early on in the U.S. market. And I think you're right. There could be a lot of confusion with a lot of the other specialty master's degrees that are out there. And this is quite a different and distinct product uh, because it really just gives you the fundamentals of a business, of what a business education is. I mean, the basic accounting, finance, marketing strategy, and then some capsta capstone project typically that allows you to integrate those basic skills uh, in a project of one kind or another. And, you know, different schools have different flavors of this, but I, I see most of this is pretty commoditized. Now, uh, HSA Paris has just done an entire revamp of its uh, master's in management program to uh, emphasize ESG issues. And that's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, particularly in Europe, and I will say Europe is ahead of the United States in terms of sustainability and ESG. And uh, a lot of the European schools in their MIMS have this emphasis, um, but not to the extent that uh, HEC has gone to develop it, in part after conversations with incoming students, alumni, and employers uh, who see sustainability and all the other issues related to governance and, you know, the role of business and society as, as key drivers of uh, new business graduates and what motivates them and what they need to be thinking about, what kind of skills uh, they need to bring to the workplace. So uh, I, I I do think that while the knowledge is generally commoditized, there's some changes afoot, particularly in Europe, that are the result of demand from incoming students and from employers. And, and you know, even in Europe, the programs are, are growing because it's only recently that NCIAD and IESE in uh, Barcelona launched MIM programs, even though they're so well established in Europe. So even in Europe, the classes are expanding in enrollment and new and very uh, great schools. I mean, IESE in Barcelona and NCIAD are among the top five uh, world business schools, and they're just only getting into the MIM game. So there's no doubt that uh, this this degree seems to be in demand and has a uh, great value. I mean, Caroline, why do you think NCOD waited so long, in fact, to enter that market? Well, I think um, 
they were waiting to see how things panned out in the market. Um, I think there was also some hesitancy to launch a program for pre-experienced students because the school, you know, the MBA is, um, the, the average age is sort of 28, 29. So it's quite different to be addressing an audience that is straight out of undergrad. It's, it's a yeah. very different group. Totally. So I think that there was um, some hesitancy about bringing in that group and concern that it would be a very different type of student. But actually, the, the, the experience has been extremely positive. And, um, and, and you know, they, the, it, it's been very successful. Um, the MIM students at INSEAD are a, a wonderful group of, of, you know, actually surprisingly mature um, young students. And, um, you know, I think the school is, is thrilled with how it's gone. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was definitely a, a different program. And also initially, um, when MIMS began to emerge, the price point was quite low compared to full-time MBA programs. And so um, I think the school was also figuring out how to potentially um, launch a program that, that really fit with INSEAD, where, you know, it's really a premium product. They, um, uh, and, you know, they weren't going to offer a, a heavily discounted program just for the state sake of launching that particular program and, and competing in that market. Yeah, that all makes sense. I should uh, let everyone know, and this is kind of interesting, that um, that Caroline is about to embark on a journey that every parent ends up uh, doing. Uh, she is bringing uh, one of her children, a daughter, uh, on a college trip. And I wonder if Caroline might theorize about what major you would like your daughter to undertake when she does get into one of the schools that you will visit over the next couple of weeks. Do you want her to be a humanities major and then maybe get a MIM? Or would you prefer that she just enroll in a business school and get that business degree and move forward with that? Oh, well, I am um, definitely not going to to tell her what she should study. She's extremely headstrong and I will, um, I will, be, I will be put in my place very quickly if I try to express my preference. Um, so, so she's actually very interested in, in psychology, which I think, um, you know, could be a very interesting course of study and also, um, you know, could be relevant to a lot of different future career paths. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, but I really don't care. I just want her to study something that she loves doing. And um, whatever that is, is absolutely fine with me. I have no, no particular uh, direction I'm trying to push her in at all. But I, and besides, I do. With two parents who have MBAs from world's leading schools, Stanford and NCIAD, I'm sure that an MBA is in her future, no matter what her major is at undergrad. Well, I, I don't know. So she actually doesn't particularly show an inclination in that direction. But my my third child is already trying to figure out how she can start a business. So I do have some some hope for her. But I, I would actually be thrilled if one of my kids did want to do a program like the, the MIM one day, because, you know, thinking back to my own experience, right, I studied French and German at undergrad and French and German at the university where I studied was, um, you know, I was studying medieval German, right? And and it was a very academic program. <laughs> and so then I went to work um, in consulting in London. As you said, John, you know, it's a whole different language that you have to learn. And the firm that I worked for, I mean, they had to invest a huge amount in training 
those recruits, right? Because they they recruited young talent from top universities, but a lot of people like me who had been studying something that was completely unrelated to the world of business and didn't necessarily have a lot of experience, relevant experience. And so um, it, they had, it, it, so it's tough on the employer because they have to invest a lot of money in that training. And it's a huge learning curve for, for that young professional. So I, I think, you know, uh, something like a MIM would have been a great experience for me. So I would personally be thrilled if one of my kids went in that direction in the future. And it's actually, you know, it doesn't preclude you doing an MBA later on either. You know, I did talk to the admissions director didn't see about that. You know, is that something, you know, do you see that it's kind of a completely different program and, and someone who does a MIM would therefore not be a good candidate for an MBA because haven't they covered a lot of the same curriculum? But actually what they're seeing is that the programs can be complementary because the M- MBA, you know, you have a lot of different electives. You have, um, you're just, it's, you're, addressing things from a, a different level at that stage. And so um, they actually are seeing people who've done the MIM who are interested in then coming back and doing an MBA later on. So I don't think having a MIM precludes you then from doing an MBA at a great at a great school later on. Yeah, really good point. Maria, any last words on the MIM? No, I'm excited for it to start to take off more more in the U.S. because there is such a there's a, such a variety of masters in finance, masters in asset management, like in the U.S. And I do wish that there would be some standardization because I think that would be more helpful for the schools, for students, for, for educating the marketplace. Uh, as you mentioned, John, right? It's one thing if I'm a, if I'm a recruiter and I know what I'm getting with a MIM, a graduate versus a, a master's in quantitative finance versus a master's in finance versus a master's in asset management. Like there are just so many different uh, ones in the U.S. Uh, and yeah, I do think that the based on the MIM curriculum, it's very similar to, you know, the, it's it's the same thing where you know I, I took accounting and finance and a bunch of classes like that in college. And when you're in undergraduate, I suspect the MIM might be very similar, where it is more about the mechanics of here's how you build a balance sheet, here's how you build a PNL, here's how you depreciate an asset. Uh, versus when you get to business school, you are looking at it from a much higher level. And so, it, it, you know, at first I thought, wow, I already took accounting in college. Why is business school forcing me to take it again? That's annoying. Uh, but it was a completely different ballgame. It was less about the definitions and the mechanics of it and more about here's how a management team can use accounting and the principles of accounting to manage their overall business. So I definitely, I don't think that there may be some overlap in the course titles. However, I believe the way in which the the coursework is examined is is very different between the two the two programs. So I'm excited yeah. for all of these opportunities for people to learn more. True. And uh, I should point out that the Financial Times has been ranking MIM programs for a number of years. That ranking tends to be pretty European-centric. Very few U.S. schools have participated in it. So it's not a full list globally, but it's a really good indication of uh, sort of the MIM landscape, particularly in Europe. And uh, you can come to Poets and Quants and you will see what we tried to do is to look at the top U.S. schools and determine who is already offering a MIM and how do they differ from each other? What do they cost? How long do they last? Uh, what schools are in the game? Uh, and how do they teach this subject to pre-experienced students? So I think you can benefit from that. Check out our story. Uh, online now at, at Poets and Quants on the, the best MIM programs in the U.S. Meantime, thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. 
You've been hearing our Business Casual podcast with Maria and Caroline. 